0: Welcome to the holiday season. My name is Sam Clements, and this is your Yuletide check-in with the leading ladies and the best friends from Nancy Meyers' 2006 film, The Holiday, the festive house-swap rom-com starring Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law and Jack Black. It goes without saying, but there will be spoilers for The Holiday in this podcast. Please do pause the show if you've not seen the movie, go and watch it, you will have a fabulous time, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. The holiday has been logged over 350,000 times on Letterboxd, the popular movie-themed social media platform, and was described as charming and impeccably scored by Madeleine Roth for the Daily Beast's 2022 article, The Best Christmas Movies and Where to Stream Them. Madeleine later says, But sometime... Over the past 16 years, and probably 96 rewatches, I've realised that the beating heart of this movie is the friendship between Kate Winslet's Iris and Eli Wallach's Arthur. Whilst I'm here for that delightful narrative thread around Iris and Arthur, it's the growing impact, and in turn, the number of people discovering, rewatching, and even recreating the holiday that intrigues me. In this episode, we'll look at the legacy of the film and what makes a great Christmas movie. Making this podcast for the last few years is testament to the fact that the legacy of the holiday looms large. It's a staple of Christmas television and cinema programming, and pictures, phrases, gifts from the film are regularly used as shorthand on social media. I'm a big fan of Cameron Diaz's Amanda drinking a bottle of wine in the village shop for an oh yeah, reply message. And last year I was sent not one, but two commercially available Christmas cards making reference to the film from high street stores here in the UK. Watching the film every year is one thing, but those films that have truly settled in the public consciousness can inspire real-life people to do real-life things, from dressing up, to writing fan fictions, to making an annual podcast solely dedicated to your favourite Christmas film cinema has the power to create fandoms and house the enthusiasms of a like-minded community. We see this in a big way with certain genres, who make spaces for fans and build an industry around it. Science fiction and comic book films in particular are synonymous with fan culture, and studios working in that space will be present at conventions and conferences across the globe. There is no fan convention for the holiday, yet, but the film's central conceit of a winter house swap is definitely out there. Even if you haven't watched a movie, and someone said they were switching homes with someone from another country, there is a good chance you might think, ah, like in the holiday. There are a few widely seen stories of people recreating Iris and Amanda's home exchange on social media platforms. Nancy Myers herself shared a post on her Instagram page last year about Grace Gannon from Boston who was using TikTok to find someone in England to set up a house swap. The video received over 3 million views and was featured in Newsweek. In the video's caption, Grace wrote, Serious inquiries only. Bonus points if you have a hot single brother. She later revealed that she didn't think anything would come of it, but did actually arrange a transatlantic holiday with someone from England via TikTok. Around the same time, the Telegraph newspaper featured a cover splash reading The Holiday! How I recreated my favourite film, To Find Love! As well as being a big feature in the newspaper, the post went viral on Twitter. A few weeks ago, I sent a message to a random woman in New York City asking if she wanted to swap lives with me. Homes, friends, dates, everything. Yes! like in The Holiday, she said yes. The story was written by Telegraph journalist Lizzie Freynier, who swapped her home in Tooting, South London, with Camille Wyand, who lives in Manhattan, New York. A year later, I caught up with both Lizzie and Camille for a reunion via Zoom to reflect on the experience. Hi, I'm Camille Wyand.
1: Hello, my name is Lizzie Freynier, and I'm an editor and journalist at The Telegraph.
0: Lizzie, can you just say on mic why we're speaking today? What did you do?
1: So it's nearly a year since I did one of the um, craziest things that I've ever done to try and revamp my dating life. One of my favourite Christmas films is The Holiday, and I've watched it every year with my family and my mum in particular, And in the lead up to the season, I saw a Instagram post on the Thursday dating Instagram that had said they teamed up with Home Exchange to create a special section of the website that was dedicated to singles living in New York and London, which at the time was the only two cities that they had the dating app in. Um, And as soon as I saw the message, I thought that not only would it be a great story to write about for The Telegraph, but also it would be a great thing to do for my own. Life, Not to mention the fact that Kate Winslet in the film works at the Telegraph just like I do. So I created an account on the website um, on Home Exchange and started trolling through all the different people on there and Camille's profile stood out to me immediately. She just had such a friendly demeanor um, in her first picture, not to mention she looked a little bit similar with her short blonde bob to Cameron Diaz herself. So I sent her a message and asked her if she would be willing to swap homes with me in the lead up to Christmas and maybe go on a few dates in our respective cities. And her first initial reply was enthusiastic, but said, you know, could we do this in January or February? Because I was asking her to do this in a week's time. And I said, no, if we're gonna do this, we have to do it just like in the film in the lead up to Christmas. And immediately I got a message back saying, okay, I'll move my plans, let's do it, which was just so exciting. And that evening we actually ended up speaking on the phone. I could just tell from her voice and the story she had to tell about her own dating life and her travels and what the experience of the pandemic had been like for her and that she was really wanted to use this experience to feel spontaneous again, that we would have lots in common. So yeah, a week later, Camille showed up at my apartment in um, South London, and we went out for dinner, caught up on our different lives, felt a little bit more confident that we could do this and swap keys. And about 2 a.m. that night, I headed to the airport to board my flight for New York. And we I've slept very little because we just ended up chatting nonstop <laughs> throughout the night. Um, and I remember being on the plane and just thinking, what on earth?
0: Have I done? Camille, from your side, you're not writing this for a newspaper. You haven't pitched a story, and you you truly do get the message out of the blue. What was going through your head when you uh, you first saw this, and how did you? What was the motivation to to move your plans and to go? Yes, I will be in London to do this.
2: I was in a little bit of a funk, like I as as Lizzie mentioned, like you know, I kind of had lost that spontaneity. I hadn't gotten to do much traveling because COVID, of course. So when she had reached out, it was more of like, oh, like, you know, a quick turnaround to do this in December. So, and I I was planning on going to London anyways, but I was looking at doing it more like, you know, January, February, sometime in the springtime, um, which is why I had suggested that. But, you know, when Lizzie said we have to do it in December, it was just, I really didn't think too much about it. I was like, sure, let's do it. And then it's funny, my friends and my family were just kind of like laughed and they're like, oh, Of course, like, of course, you got yourself into a situation like this because I'm I'm known to be doing things pretty often, like for the story, like, oh, this is going to be a fun adventure. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm in. So who knows what will happen, but it'll be fun. Um, So so, yeah, I was definitely not that (laughs) hesitant to agree to do it. Um, and was really excited to get to do something spontaneous like this. Was
0: it exciting that it was also going to be written up for a national newspaper in the UK, or, or you know, was that did that add a you know was that a bit more daunting? How did you feel about that element?
2: Um, that too, I thought like, wow, this is really cool, and and I'm not too familiar with the Telegraph, and it, it's definitely more of a thing in London. So in my mind, I was like, oh, like whatever, I'll just go to London and go on a few dates. I, I didn't really comprehend how the potential of this going viral. Like in my mind, it was just going to be a little experience I would be posting on my Instagram and, and Thursday dating was involved. I knew they would be posting, but again, I just, I don't know why I just really didn't have this idea of how how big it would eventually become. Of course, like we're strangers about to go live in each other's apartment, but it was so instant, like instant that we hit it off. Like even on the phone, before we even met in person, I could tell, like, we're going to, be really good friends and we had a really fun night that that first night in London together we got pizza we got wine and we just chatted all night about just our lives our dating experiences um and it was just really great and and we I think we both kind of had this feeling that night of who knows what's about to happen this week but I I personally felt like oh I found a friend that I'm definitely going to be friends with for a long time
0: It feels sort of ironic that it's inspired by a movie because it sounds like this (laughs) could be a movie in in, in its own right.
2: If you cast your
1: mind back to end of November, early December 2021, it was Omicron, the Omicron variant had just appeared, travel restrictions were changing by the hour. Um, And we had a very complicated situation where you know, we were tr- trading houses. So that week I remember being really stressed out. What if Camille gets here and then I'm not able to get into New York? Or what if one of us gets COVID in the in the experience? And I think something changed where you then had to stay in a hotel for the first like 48 hours when you arrived. So then Camille changed to come a couple days earlier so she could stay in a hotel for the first two nights before we met. So there was this whole other added element to it. I didn't write about this at the time because it happened after the story had gone to press, but I actually caught COVID in New York and ended up <laughs> having to quarantine in a hotel for 10 days by myself as the story went viral, getting loads of messages, you know, doing interviews inside this hotel room by myself, which was pretty surreal. At the beginning, I thought, oh my God, how am I going to handle being by myself for 10 days? I flew back, I landed at Heathrow at 6 a.m. on Christmas Day. So my mum was joking that she was going to come to the airport with the signs like they do in Love Actually. She was like, the next rom-com is Love Actually. (laughs) Um, So yeah, and I didn't have time to go back to my house in London to get the presents. So I ended up like on the day on my way to the airport having to just get presents in New York. So I just got some bagels from some place in a puzzle of New York City. so yeah, it just added to the whole drama of the experience.
0: Oh wow, that's a that's a that's a thrilling <laughs> climax. <laughs>
1: yeah, and not, and not to mention too that I did end up getting to see uh, the guy that I had a bit of a romance with in New York one final time when I exited my quarantine. I had one final night in New York, Christmas Eve. So um, yeah, that added to the romance of the whole scenario. <laughs>
0: Lizzie, when you were pitching the story, did you yeah was it because the holiday? like was the holiday a big part of your pitch?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um I just really like the idea of it for some reason, you know, there's so many different Christmas movies, but the holiday, there's a few others um, out there, but I would say the holiday is one of them that families watch year in, year out, multiple times sometimes in the lead up to Christmas. So I know so many people resonate with it. And there's, if you look at a lot of other Christmas films, it would be hard to recreate them, but in a natural way. But with the holiday, you know, just by swapping homes in the lead up to Christmas and going on to dates, it was kind of easy to create that, but never would I have expected that Camille and I would have actually liked the dates that we ended up, you know, I thought it would just be a funny story and we went on some dates and that was it. But the fact we both ended up, meeting people that we liked made it even more like the film. Although <laughs> neither of those romances are still ongoing. But one thing that Camille and I have said many times is that the main takeaway from the experience was, well, A on the romantic side, to take risks and you know, don't follow any silly dating rules. Just do whatever it is that makes you feel happy. Um, but the second thing is how important it is um, to have single friends and to meet new people you know when you get into your late 20s early 30s and beyond it's not like when you're at school or uni where you're making new friends all the time and you can just be in your own bubble but the opportunity to make a new friend with someone that lives on the other side of the pond in a completely different place to me but has similar experiences with such a life affirming thing um, and we're still really good friends and we still voice note each other and whatsapp and Camille actually came to visit me in um, <laughs> September, I think it was. And we have other, you know, trips on the horizon. So yeah, that's been a really lovely thing to come out of the whole experience. Um, it's interesting, I guess, to see what happens at the end of the rom-com. I think it was like Cameron Diaz would have stayed friends, but was that long distance relationship gonna work?
2: I'm not sure.
0: Camille, were you as big a fan of The Holiday as, as Lizzie was when when this project started?
2: Yeah, so I definitely was a fan of The Holiday. I wouldn't say The Holiday was like my favorite Christmas movie, though. There's a few others that I feel like my family and I would always watch, and The Holiday honestly just wasn't one of them. Um, but I definitely had seen The Holiday a handful of times, but it now is definitely a staple movie for me and my family. <laughs> and I think amongst my friends as well. I think, I think before I left me and my family or just me i had watched the holiday maybe 10 times from the time that like lizzie told me we were doing this to me actually leaving i watched it so many times
1: (laughs) camille even watched the holiday on the plane
2: on the way over to england it was on the way over and then on the way back i just kind of kept playing it on repeat like i was doing other things on the plane like i was writing my part of lizzie's article Um, And I just kept and I was like sleeping, too. But I like to like listen to something as I'm sleeping. So I just replayed it probably another three (laughs) or four times on the plane.
1: (laughs) I feel so lame admitting this. But when I got to New York and I was in Camille's apartment pretty much every night before I would go out on my date of the evening, I would put on the holiday soundtrack and just sort of dance around the flat like they would in a rom-com. but. I just felt, you know, I was in New York City and I was, it was Christmas time and it was going out on a date and it was so exciting. And then I think it was, it was embarrassing because, um, yeah, Evan was, was at Camille's flat with me and we put on some music and it came up the holiday soundtrack and I was like, oh, I'm just going to quickly change that.
0: <laughs> I guess for the piece, you know, the dates are the main focus, but were you tempted to do anything from the film? Um I, you know, Camille you've got access to Surrey isn't too far uh, from London
2: Yeah, so Patty, um, my Jude Law, (laughs) um, him and I actually took a trip out to Surrey um, to the pub where there's a scene that's shot where Cameron Diaz, he he, like says that he's going to be at the pub and she shows up and sees him there and there's a scene of like her waving. So Patty and I actually went there to that pub and just from Thursday dating, um, she had lived in Surrey, so she picked us up from the train station, drove us to the pub know we took some videos reenacting some scenes then patty and i had our date there and i had my first sunday roast um at the pub i believe it was called white horse tavern we had like a lot of fun the the pub also had a lot of holiday pictures like cameron diaz and chewed law so we had a lot of fun taking pictures with that and just the experience was silly and fun and and we had a it was just a really fun experience.
0: When the newspaper came out, this was a, it had a, a splash on the front cover of the newspaper. It was huge on, on social media. How did you guys feel uh, at that point? And, you know, how many, what sort of messages were you getting?
2: Yeah, it was definitely hilarious how much it blew up. One through Lizzie's article, of course, was insanely successful, like ended up on the front page. And so that was really cool. I also had friends convince me to make TikToks. Um, which at first I was like, I'm not making a TikTok. I'm not making a TikTok. And then while I was in London, like doing this, somebody else had actually made a TikTok um, about wanting to swap apartments and that went viral. And I was like, wait, like we're doing this. We're already doing this. <laughs> so that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of play off of this trend and, and show like, hey, we're actually doing this. And, and this is what our experience has been, um, which ended up again going where that went viral and I made like a cute little tick there's a few different TikToks but one the one that really went viral was the one I made of Patty and I um, just about you know we recreated the holiday like I found my Jude Law and it was all cute and whatnot Um, but I was pleasantly surprised at all the positive sweet messages like Lizzie mentioned earlier the people that have come to her saying how our story inspired other people to do maybe something similar or just help them be more spontaneous and and just like it was kind of a downtime in the world with Omicron was popping up again. So the news was a bit depressing. So we had a lot of messages of like, wow, this is so wonderful to see such a happy and uplifting story amongst all the negativity in the news. Um, so it was just really sweet to hear the messages that we were getting from people from around the world.
1: Yeah, that was the thing that really surprised me, because as a journalist, you're kind of ta- taught on an article that you write don't read the comments because often people that comment don't have very nice things to say but this article was an exception there were just so many readers that had such lovely messages and like wishing us well and saying how excited they were for us and they wanted an update with what was going to happen next and it was a really really lovely thing it was also a little bit overwhelming because if you're dating someone new that can be stressful in itself but all of a sudden you have what felt like the whole world wanting it to work out it makes it add even more pressure to the situation
0: it sounds like you know you're really great friends and and you know this is what the film doesn't show us it doesn't show us the the postscript
1: yeah even just chatting to you now it's you know I'm sure all my friends and family are sick of me talking about it but it remains one of the best things I've ever done it just made me feel so positive again about being single and having the opportunity to do adventurous things um, and enjoying it while I am and having the opportunity to make new friends. Having met Camille since then, like this year, I've tried to also make other new friends through other circles, you know, from a Hindu, of a friend of a friend or through a work thing, because you just learn so much about yourself. It's just a really life enriching thing to have new friends in different places around the world and it's something I felt like I did when I was younger I did languages at uni and lived abroad um, in Paris and Barcelona and Nice but it's something that I feel like you know once I got a job and living in London I've had the same circle of friends who I love and adore but having the opportunity to meet new people hear about new experiences has been such such a lovely thing and I'm so glad that Camille and I stayed in touch. And when she came to visit me in September, again, it was a very spontaneous thing. She was, she was in France for um, a potential school thing. And she said she could pop over to London. I was like, yeah, come and we made it work. And my friend had a 30th birthday, but Camille came along and I just before Camille got here, I sort of thought, I actually haven't spent that much time with Camille in person because, you know, we were in each other's cities most of the time. So what are we, a whole weekend together. We're going to be sharing a room. Like, is it going to be too intense or will the magic of the whole experience have worn off by now? And it just absolutely wasn't the case. We we talked nonstop. The final night we were in a in a restaurant near near my house and. Um, having dinner and we'd finished we'd been out all day and we were hungover from the night before and I said, oh do you want to get another drink Camille said well not really but I do because I know that when we leave here this is this is the end of the trip and I'm not ready for it to be over and it just completely reiterated like everything that I was feeling myself inside which was such a nice feeling
0: Camille that sounds like a line from an Nancy Myers film
2: yeah it's I it was just that trip going back to London and seeing Lizzie was just so much fun and and like lizzie said too i had those thoughts too of like you know what if we hang out and like you know maybe maybe lizzie's not gonna like me as much as she thought she did and like maybe you know maybe this friendship isn't as strong as i thought and it definitely exceeded my expectations of how much fun it was and yes i very much remember that with lizzie of like not wanting to go home because i i knew that you know once we left this restaurant and we went back and went to sleep like it was over Um, But I I think the best part of this whole experience is is finding a really good friend like Lizzie that I think we're I think it's pretty safe to say we're going to be friends forever now.
0: Oh, that's incredible! Talk, listening to you both talk is really inspiring, and you know, I think you know, there's the joys of being spontaneous uh, there, and also not many you know friends have got their very first meeting documented in a national newspaper. Uh, so you've got a very unique you know sort of join, I suppose, in, in in that respect. One final question: Will you be watching the holiday again this Christmas?
2: Absolutely, I can't wait. Once it's thing, I feel like in for, in the United States, like after Thanksgiving, then you can start watching Christmas movies. So I will very much be making my whole family. Once we're done eating Thanksgiving, then we'll be watching the holiday that night. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts.
1: And uh, my answer is, I don't know, actually. I haven't watched it since Camille and I did the whole swap. And part of me just feels like I would get really emotional watching it. Um, So I do want to watch it, but I also feel like maybe I need to watch it on my own in case I just get emotional and my friends and family are like, what are you doing? Get over yourself. But I feel like it's a part of me, a part of my story, a part of my life now. So it's hard not to be emotional about it.
0: The Holiday, like a lot of Christmas films, is often repeated throughout the winter but it's a testament to the filmmaking itself that it's so rewatchable last year following our episodes with jude law and nancy myers we actually screened the film at a cinema in london to a packed audience from a show of hands at the start of the event it was mostly people rewatching the film and the energy inside the theater was electric people watching for their favourite parts, laughing, quoting, and crying along together, an energy similar to that of the infamous Rocky Horror Picture Show, but with more cashmere sweaters than lace stockings. And this year, the holiday screened at legendary music venue The Hammersmith Apollo, home to over 3,000 seats, and was presented with a live score performed by a full orchestra, basically a huge rock concert, for those looking for corny in their life. I'm fascinated by what makes a Christmas film ascend to the level of something like The Holiday, and many films before it, The Muppet Christmas Carol, Die Hard, It's a Wonderful Life, and so on. What cements these select few pictures from the myriad of festive flicks released every year into the Christmas canon, and why do we, the audience, love to rewatch them? I caught up with film journalist Helen O'Hara, host of Bar Humbug, a podcast dedicated to Christmas films, to help answer this question.
3: In my day-to-day life, um, I'm a freelance film journalist, I'm editor-at-large for Empire Magazine, and I'm the co-host of the Empire podcast. But for one month a year, I become the host of Bah Humbug, which is a podcast focused entirely on Christmas movies. So it's now in its third year, we've been doing like 12 episodes a year, looking at all those new, you know, nonsenses on Netflix and things like that, but also on at the good Christmas movies that exist and the good ones that we keep coming back to year after year. That's the basic idea is what is it about these films that's good? Why do we allow it when they're bad and still watch them? And and what is it that makes something feel Christmassy or not?
0: I think it's a noble cause and I'm glad I'm glad you made this <laughs> podcast. Um because everybody likes Christmas films, don't they, right?
3: I would hope, yeah. I think I think um you know what is weird, like I do have Jewish friends, Muslim friends who, who still cozy up and watch Christmas movies because it is I think a a thing that transcends the actual religious, you know, quote-unquote reason for the season, I, I don't think... I think it goes a lot further than that. I think it goes into this, you know like you can go back to the pagan roots really can't you this this sort of midwinter very dark season very cold season and and finding a reason to have joy in the middle of that and finding a reason to celebrate something get together with people you love and just just find a yeah find a reason to keep going through the dark months
0: why did you choose to express your own passion through a podcast? You know, it's it's one of the more involved mediums, I suppose. Um a sort of, of of fandom.
3: Yeah, it is a bit. The thinking was really that it would be it was something that people weren't talking about enough and I didn't think it was quite right for us to just focus on, on Empire, but there were there were becoming more and more of these Christmas movies because all the streaming services started doing Christmas movies because they realized, you know, I think what what certain filmmakers have always known is that if you make a successful Christmas movie, it's going to keep making money for life. It's the same reason that all those Christmas songs that get played nonstop for a month a year, you know, those people have all retired and live in very nice houses um, because the money just comes in every single year.
0: What time of year is like the optimum time to start watching Christmas films? It's a debate I think a lot of people have around the country. I recently got uh, told I could not watch the new Lindsay Lohan Netflix film because it was too too early.
3: Well, OK, so one of the great things about Bar Humbug is it gives me a cast iron excuse to watch these as soon as they drop. So that's that's fantastic. I can start watching Christmas movies forever and call it work. Um, personally, though, I do think there is a season and I think there, I've, I've worked sometimes. Uh, we talked about it on Empire once on putting together a Christmas movies timetable. So obviously, the first one to come into season, if you will, is Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas is in season from November 1st. That's just the way it is. There is no argument about that as far as I'm concerned. And that remains in season until December 24th. Others, I think you have to earn, you have to work your way up to. You don't want to peak too early with It's a Wonderful Life, with Die Hard, with Muppets, you know, so that the sort of the classic kind of movies, I think, need to wait a little bit longer in your Christmas movie cycle, I think all those nonsense ones that are on all those Christmas channels that suddenly pop up in December, in September, even um, you can watch those whenever because they're absolutely nonsense, and uh, you know you're, you're not losing anything. But yeah, the good ones I think you should pace out over December.
0: If you're really into the Christmas films, you're watching a lot of the same films potentially year in year out. Usually, you know, on a general level, you know, older movies aren't quite as interesting, you know, for the viewing public uh, as, as as a new release. But when it comes to Christmas people do want to go back it seems but not every film makes it into that canon and that's quite interesting.
3: That's it yeah that is it and it's, it's the same with with music isn't it you know there, there are very few songs since Mariah Carey that have entered the canon of Christmas songs and I think similarly it's quite difficult to get yourself to that level of being one of the christmas films that people go back to over and over and over again i mean yes the holiday 2006 obviously that i think people do go back to every year but the you know the last big big year for christmas movies that have endured is 2003 i think for with bad santa love actually and elf um, all out within a, within a calendar year. So that is, you know, those all kind of entered the canon, if you will, and 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 got in there. Um, all of these Netflix ones, I mean, look, they may pop up in your queue and you may put them on, but I feel like there's less intentionality to a lot of that. And also because they all have similar names, you forget or I forget which ones I've watched. I've literally several times put on the same bad Christmas movie and then realised, oh no, oh God, I saw this. <laughs> it was terrible and had to stop it again but too late it's already messed up the algorithm you will always get some people watching it because it is a christmas movie and because they want to watch a christmas movie but it does take something extra to become sort of a regular on purpose for people
0: in the old days, before television and, and whatnot, <laughs> you know, people would just watch what was on at the cinema. But when TV came around, I, I suppose Christmas films were just easy filler. Like There was 30, 40, 50 years of cinema that had not been broadcast on television. You know, Fewer people would be working over the holidays so you can pop a film on. But that sort of tradition has endured uh, now. And I, I think that's why people fall in love with these films. It's sort of repetition, maybe through television when we were younger, maybe now through streaming.
3: That's. I think that's definitely part of it. I think, you know, you obviously had It's a Wonderful Life literally falling out of copyright at one point and then being played to death on American TV. And I think that was a big part of it. Weirdly, there weren't that many Christmas films in the early days of Hollywood. You know, It's a Wonderful Life is something of a standout. And there were a few in the 40s and 50s because I've gone back and tried to, you know, mix things up a bit and, and play with some more films. So you've got things like Holiday Affair and stuff with Robert Mitchum, but not nearly as many as I kind of thought there'd be. I thought there'd be more of it. Miracle on 34th Street, of course, the original one, as well as the remake. Um, but, you know, it, there's less than, than you would think. So, yes, I think it is the repetition on TV. and And nowadays it's kind of going the other way. So... The things that we grew up watching over and over and over again on TV, they're now playing in rep cinemas um, around the country, you know, and people will deliberately go out so they can actually see Muppets with a big crowd. They'll go out and see It's a Wonderful Life or Die Hard or whatever with a crowd
0: like when when we were sort of looking at the holiday I I'm a fan I've been a fan since the beginning but it was over like when it whenever it was on TV and, like boxing day or christmas eve or something I would and it was on social media I suppose the two sort of had to uh had to combine uh, there but you know you'd see like a load of tweets from people you didn't realize were fans of the holiday sort of talking about how much they loved the film and and it sort of sparked something in them enough to sort of post uh, post a comment or or do an Instagram picture or something um so I do feel like there was maybe that period where because now people are just sort of like watching things whenever. But, you know, when social media was sort of coming into its own, getting really big, people had smartphones, and we were still all watching the same content on TV.
3: On that TV, was sort of yeah. the
0: magical moment, I think, for the holiday anyway.
3: 100%. For the holiday. And also, I I remember noticing that for Elf. They used to put Elf on very early in December on like a Saturday night, and you would get just a, a flood of... of Tweets about that. And yeah, absolutely the holiday as well. I think I think you do get a bit more of a Christmas because people go home to their family homes, to their parents, and their parents still watch terrestrial TV and still consult a guide to tell them what time things are on. I mean, it's completely alien, quite frankly, but it it does still happen. (laughs) Bizarre.
0: It's shifting hard to keep track. You must have this with the podcast. We can follow the cinema release, that's probably gonna be two or three Christmas films in cinemas, lovely. Television. Lots of old movies, maybe a couple of specials. Brilliant. Streaming services.
3: Ah uh, It's a screaming trash fire, yes. And trying to just get them to tell me which ones are out and when is is genuinely a problem in itself. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a huge number um, out every year. And what's interesting to me is the difference in sort of ambition for them a lot of the time. You have the ones that really try to go for that kind of that sheen of quality that the holiday has or the elf has or whatever else. And then you have the ones that are absolutely just plug in some elements to a very, very cliched script that probably plays on a very well-known story and just hope that people just watch it essentially by accident. So all the endless riffs on A Christmas Carol, all the endless riffs on It's a Wonderful Life or, or something to that effect, you know, people keep doing this over and over. And of course, all those romances you know the ones uh, on the on the cover with two white people one in red one in green embracing in front of a christmas tree they, they all look the same for a reason because they're all exactly the same story so career person goes back to small town due to reasons has to do a thing falls in with small town person who encourages them to take a look at what's really important in life love blossoms yada 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 christmas eve kisses
0: in terms of what makes a good Christmas film from your point of view, you know, you're an expert in, in this subject, how does the holiday fare?
3: really well actually I, I think if it, if it falls down in one respect is that it doesn't feel as Christmassy as some I think there's there's large parts of it that are not terribly Christmassy because both women are basically on holiday they're not exactly you know decorating the tree or baking cookies or whatever else they're just settling into a new place so while one of those places yes is snowy and scenic and beautiful um, and the other one is LA which is even at its best not very Christmassy um, I think if you'd wanted to maximise the nurse, she probably would have been a New Yorker Swapping with somebody in London or something like that. So it, the Christmassiness, if you like, kind of sneaks up on you gradually through the film, um, and it doesn't kind of overwhelm you at first. Um, and weirdly, it's it's mo- at its most kind of Christmassy in the New Year scene at the end. <laughs> so, you know. So I think it's it's good that way. What what really stands out like for me with the holiday is what's lacking in so many Christmas movies, which is that money has been spent on the locations, the design, the costumes, which is not always the case. Money has been spent on a cast who have enormous charisma, acting talent, and the ability to deliver lines well. Money has been spent on a writer and director who can write and direct um, and who, you know, comes up with good dialogue, with good scenarios, with good moments of comedy or drama which are, frankly, often lacking from these movies. I mean, I watch a lot of these movies and some of them, but, you know, the camera stays upright and that's about all you can say, you know. But, but you really feel the difference, even in the sort of cheapish kind of Netflix-esque, Hallmark-esque ones. You can tell the difference between the ones that have movie stars and the ones that have somebody who's been working in TV in Vancouver God bless them, no disrespect meant, but but they haven't had the same kind of maybe hot housing and, and been encouraged to develop their own charisma, their own persona to the same degree. But you can really feel the difference that movie star charisma makes to these. You can really feel the difference that good writing makes to these um, because it is night and day. And, it you know, those things don't have to cost a huge amount of money. You know, you can get probably an ex-movie star for around the same amount you, you spend on an in-demand TV actor, but it's, it's a huge difference, I think, in terms of quality.
0: I think it's definitely added to the sort of longevity of it as well, because you know, these four actors that Nancy Myers cast and, and worked with in 2006, you know, they've just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Although Cameron Diaz has seemingly stopped, but uh, but now she's a, a wine but entrepreneur, by choice, you, you know, know. Yeah. And, and she got as big as she could possibly get, I think, and then ducked out.
3: And even, even the supporting cast. I mean, look at that supporting cast. You've got, you know, John Krasinski in there for about 30 seconds. You've got Catherine Hand for no reason, just because if you can get Catherine Hand, why would you not? Ed Burns for, again like one scene you know that is that is a deep 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 bench of talent um and that that makes a huge huge difference it, it really does I, you, you know again like n- no disrespect meant to people who are working on these tiny budgets and, and shooting on a back lot somewhere but like th- you feel the difference on screen and that's why it has the longevity it has and people watch it on purpose and not just because the algorithm throws it up
0: It's sort of timeless in how it's shot, even though it's a contemporary film for 2006. It's not really like dated, like we still have smartphones and websites so they look a bit janky now in in the film. But you get this, you know, it's a bit like you've got mail or or, you know, shop around the corner or something like like that. We we understand the concept. We understand, you know, that sort of the technical conceit that has got them to the place they are. But then it's just like a classic rom com. You know and and away we go
3: and away we go and i think i think what people underestimate about the rom-com is again this thing you need a great script and you need great actors and you don't actually need anything else after that so if you can spend the money on those two things you're gonna have a good rom-com and i think what what went wrong with the rom-com to an extent was people tried to go bigger and bigger and bigger with other stuff that doesn't matter when what you really need is you know meg ryan and billy crystal walking through central park talking Talking nonstop, loads of talking. You can't have enough talking in a rom-com. And if you have smart people, articulate people, articulating smart things from a, from your script, like it's going to work better. It's really going to work better and it's going to be more fun and more entertaining. Um, I think it's one of the things that the, the recent Billy Eichner rom-com bros mostly got right, but then it sort of has a lot of kind of bells and whistles around the outside and stuff that, that maybe didn't work as well. But people talking to each other is what you absolutely need for a rom-com and I think that's what a lot of these a lot of these films are so tied up in coming up with obstacles and conceits and weird, you know, coincidences that they kind of forget that if people are going to fall in love they have to fall in love by getting to know each other in some fashion.
0: Just have a have a chat. That's all we want to watch.
3: Have a chat. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, do, do you think The Holiday loses points for not actually having a scene on Christmas Day? They sort of, they go away for the holidays. They don't celebrate Christmas within the film.
3: Yeah, that's true. And I, I think that's that's what I mean about the Christmassiness being quite muted. I mean, you see it when Cameron Diaz goes to the pub. You know, there's an air of, that feels like a pub at Christmas, right? That feels like Christmas Eve, maybe the 23rd, but probably Christmas Eve in the pub. Everybody's there. It's all very jolly and brightly lit and you know there's a lot of kind of warmth um coming off the screen at that point but it doesn't feel you know ott kind of christmasy and and yeah i think it's it's a weird christmas film in that respect a lot of the filmmakers i've talked to about christmas movies that they, they, they talk about the fact that it has a kind of built-in deadline. You know, if you have Christmas coming up, that's a reason you have to... The run for love that's a feature of so many rom-coms, you know, you have to get there by Christmas. You know, if you're going to be forgiven, you want to be forgiven at midnight on Christmas Eve and then wake up with your beloved on Christmas Day. Miracle on 34th Street, you know, the, the it's the midnight mass on Christmas Eve that the, the two of them turn up to the church and... Well, no spoilers from Miracle on 34th <laughs> Street, but they get married. Anyway, um, so I think that... The fact that she completely just puts aside that whole um, deadline, if you like, makes it more interesting. Because again, these women have not gone away to bring presents to their long lost relatives on either side of the Atlantic. They have not gone away with a particular Christmas mission in mind they have gone away on a holiday to avoid Christmas so in a way it kind of makes sense that the film would also avoid it. Yeah
0: that makes total sense and they have their own deadline I suppose when their holiday is due to end not you know exactly. we're going to celebrate we are going to have the perfect Christmas which is often the goal of so many Christmas movies we need to do whatever we can pull out all the stops go on an elaborate farce to then have the perfect Christmas day. <laughs> In terms of like Christmas movie sort of canon and, and, and circles, the holiday where do you think it sort of stands on a? Uh, if if you say sort of Elf and, and Love Actually are sort of, they've become absolute classics? Is the mm. holiday close by, or, or do you think there's some way to go?
3: I think it's I think it's up there with with Love Actually anyway. Um, I would put it on a par probably with that. So sort of middle top ten for me personally. I would have, you know, I have It's a Wonderful Life is my number one. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry to be obvious and boring, but it just is. Um, And then I've got things like uh, Elf and Die Hard and Muppets and Nightmare. Um, and things like that, but I would put the holiday in there because again, it's just it's classy, it's well made. They have those just enviable houses, uh, as as is the case, of course, with all Nancy Myers movies. But yeah, I mean, I you know she her productions always just have that sheen of quality and that sheen of class, and it's because she writes good scripts as well. So I think. Um, I think it has a huge amount going for it and, and it is one that I will absolutely watch. If, it, if I'm for some reason watching terrestrial TV and it's on, I will sit down and watch it, you know. Um, and I will get put on each year around this time.
0: Have you got a favourite scene? Is there, is there sort of something you look forward to seeing every time you watch this film?
3: It's probably Kate Winslet on the phone to both Jude Law and Cameron Diaz at the same time. Um, I cannot believe you slept with her. I told you specifically... <laughs> Still me, oh god, <laughs> love it, absolutely love it.
0: I think that's a, um, that's the sign of a good scene. Is that that sort of scene in in sort of an clipped version is basically like the majority of the trailer for the film. Um, yes. So yeah, like, yeah, it's like clearly like a good scene to get people invested in this and set up the concept.
3: Absolutely, I do also love the fake trailer with uh, James Frank in, Franco and Lindsay Lohan. I think that's uh, that's really cleverly done.
0: Should there be a sequel to The Holiday? Would you like to watch that?
3: Yeah, you know, I'd be interested in it. I mean, especially with with Cameron Diaz having essentially retired, absence has definitely made the heart grow fonder. And I think, I think everybody quite excited when when she announced she was coming back for a film, another film, not this, uh, last year. People were genuinely like, "I am very excited to see her again." Uh, so I think there'd be a lot of appetite for it if she suddenly decided, "Yes, I will do the holiday too." I mean, they're all still around and working, and th- those four anyway. And I think, um, I think if there was something there, if there was a story idea, then you know, I'd be interested in rejoining those characters and just seeing what's happened since.
0: The holiday season is now in its fourth year as a podcast, and one of the reasons I keep making the show is that it allows me to not only revisit one of my favourite films, but it encourages me to re-examine, to research, and engage with it in a deeply rewarding way, and meet some fun, like-minded people whilst doing so. The film will always be a comfort blanket watch for me, and something I find enjoyable, but there's a rich world in orbit around the holiday. It's been fascinating to open the show up this year and talk to people who have been creating their own work and telling their own stories off the back of the holiday and similar festive staples. As Eli Wallach's Arthur Abbott says in the film, I came to Hollywood over 60 years ago and immediately fell in love with motion pictures, and it's a love affair that's lasted a lifetime. Well, I first watched The Holiday 16 years ago, and immediately fell in love with that motion picture. And it's a love affair that I hope will last a lifetime. Thank you for joining me once again in the DVD aisle at Blockbusters, in between Miles and Iris over there goofing around. Oh, and there's Dustin Hoffman in his joggers, I'm off to check out the holiday for the 97th time, and don't worry, there are plenty of copies here if you'd like to do the same. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. And tell your friends! Word of mouth is such a great way to spread the holiday cheer. We've got a whole bunch of back episodes too, including a special appearance by director Nancy Myers on the episode just before this... Something to keep you going until the next instalment of The Holiday Season. The Holiday Season is written, produced and edited by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. The sound mix is by Maddie Searle. You heard contributions from film journalist and host of The Barhumbug Podcast, Helen O'Hara, and real-life holiday homeswappers Lizzie Franier from The Telegraph and Camille Wyand. music is by martin ostwick and our artwork is by ollie gibbs you can find us online at 90minfilmfest.com slash the holiday season you can follow me on twitter at sam underscore clements if you like what we do we have another podcast it's called the 90 minutes or less film fest why not give that a listen the holiday is available on dvd blu-ray netflix and many other streaming services thank you for listening see you next time